each Lord's Day. Um, and it's important for us to know the things that we do. And we, we don't want to do things uh, out of ignorance. Uh, and we don't want to be blind to the things that we do. Uh, we don't want to view the things that we do as simply religious practices um, or anything like that. But we want to be assured of what we are doing when we are doing them. From singing uh, in song to listening to the scripture readings um, to praying together. Everything we do as a church has a intentional meaning behind them. Uh, nothing that we do is wasted. Uh, and that's important to note through this entire series, and I hope we've got that across to you, is that nothing that we do in this church is wasted. Uh, but everything has an intentional meaning, and everything has one uh, focal point, and that is to glorify God through his Son, Jesus Christ. This evening, saints, we have the privilege and the honor and the opportunity to consider the glorious doctrine of the Lord's Supper. History tells us that the Lord's Supper was more debated during the Reformation than the doctrine of justification by faith alone. There was more ink spilled over the doctrine of the Lord's Supper than of justification by faith alone. From debates over the presence of Christ in the Supper to should only believers partake of the Lord's Supper, to how, to how often should we partake of the Lord's Supper? The doctrine of the Lord's Supper has been highly debated. But regardless of the debates over the doctrine of the Lord's Supper, none who debate, who wrote about the doctrine of the Lord's Supper would undermine the importance and significance of the Lord's Supper. Meaning, people in church history debated over this doctrine because this doctrine is that important. There was more ink. There's a reason why there was more ink spilled over the doctrine of the Lord's Supper because the Lord's Supper is that significant. Herman Bobbing says, the Lord's Supper is a meal, the essential meal of God and his people. It's a sacrificial meal par excellence at which believers receive Christ himself as he gives his life for them. And then he said this, he did not only, he did not only Jesus give himself for his own, but also gives himself to his own. The cup and the bread in the Lord's Supper is participation in the body and blood of Christ. Saints, the Lord's Supper is one of the most glorious and gracious gifts Christ has given to his church. In fact, the Lord's Supper next to the preached word is one of the most glorious things we participate in each and every Lord's Day. Thomas Watson, the great Puritan, viewed the Lord's Supper as a visible sermon, a mirror in which to gaze on the sufferings and death of Christ. Watson would say, God, to help our faith, does not only give us an audible word, but hear this, he gives us a visible sign. Not only does God give us an audible word, but he gives us a visible sign. And the Lord's Supper points to many signs and many truths of the Christian life. 
at the Lord's Supper, we remember the sufferings and death of our Lord. At the Lord's Supper, we receive the benefits of that redemption that we have in our Lord. And at the Lord's Supper, we look forward to the future marriage banquet that we will have with our Lord. Saints, the Lord's Supper, first and foremost, is not about us. The Lord's Supper is not about what we do in response to what God has done for us. But the Lord's Supper, first and foremost, is Christocentric. It's Christotelic. The scope of the Lord's Supper is Christ. At its center, at its core, the Lord's Supper is all about Jesus Christ. The Lord's Supper is not about what we do in light of what Christ has done. But the Lord's Supper, first and foremost, is about what Christ has done on our behalf and what we receive in response. The Lord's Supper is more about what God does for us in the supper rather than what we do for God. And that goes from everything to the preached word. For as we preach the word, grace from God is being showered to God's people from baptism signifying what God is doing on our behalf and a pledge that God has made on our behalf to us. And the same with the Lord's Supper. The Lord's Supper should be one of the reasons. And this is what I want to drill in everyone's head this evening. The Lord's Supper is one of the reasons why we should be most excited for the Lord's Day each and every week. That this is one of the main reasons why we should want to come to church. Why we should wake up excited to fellowship with our risen Lord. The Lord's Supper reminds us of the hope that we have, reminds us that the hope that we have in this world is not found in anything that's in us, but it's found in that person that's outside of us, Jesus Christ. The Lord's Supper strengthens our weak faith as we remind, as we are reminded of the benefits Christ obtained on our behalf. And he distributes to his people at the Lord's Supper. And the Lord's Supper reminds us that over 2,000 years ago, Christ gave himself up for us. And in the present, as we participate in the Lord's Supper, Christ gives himself to us. And in the future, we will be with Christ forever. This evening, saints, I want us to consider the doctrine of the Lord's Supper and why we should hold the supper, the Lord's Supper, at the same level as baptism and the Lord and the Lord's uh, or the preached word. That's what I want to get out again: is the Lord's Supper is on par with the preached word. It's on par with baptism. So that this evening, I have three ways in which we are to look at the Lord's Supper. The first way is uh, uh, past tense. Past tense. The second or second point present tense and the future and the third point future tense so point one past tense point two present tense and point three future tense and when we participate each and every lord's day in the lord's supper we are to be reminded and have these three aspects in our minds when we are to partake of the bread and of the cup so let's consider our first point and that is Past tense. The first aspect of the Lord's Supper and the first aspect that we have to get down. And many of you already know this. It is the past tense. Uh, others would like to call this the memorial view of the Lord's Supper. And this is uh, what the dominant view of the Lord's Supper is in many churches. It's simply a memorial, which 
It is. The first aspect of the Lord's Supper is we are to remember something from the past. We are to remember something from the past. The Lord's Supper has an intentional connection to the past, meaning the Lord's Supper connects us to the past. It reminds us of an historical event that happened over 2,000 years ago. And that event, saints, is none other than the death of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. You're in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, uh, verse 24 and 25 say this. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. And hear the words here. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, he also took the cup after supper, saying, this is the cup, uh, this cup, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink of it in remembrance of me. So Christ tells his disciples that when they gather to partake of the bread and drink of the cup, they are to remember what those elements signify. There's something that those elements, there's something that the bread and the cup point to. Okay, or we should say point back to the broken bread points to the broken body of our Lord. The broken bread points to the broken body of our Lord. The broken bread is to remind us of the body that was broken for our sake, a body that was pure, that was holy, that did not need to be broken, but was for our sake. As Isaiah 42, 10 says, yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. Christ's body was crushed, saints, on your behalf. His body was crushed on the behalf of his elect. And the bread points us to and reminds us of the glorious body of our Lord that was bruised and beaten for our sake. And just as the bread is to remind us of the body of Christ, the cup is to remind us of the blood that was shed for the forgiveness of our sins. Christ says, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Christ institutes the new covenant by the shedding of his blood. In order for the father's wrath to be appeased, a perfect spotless blood sacrifice had to be offered up. In order for our sins to be forgiven, blood from a perfect sacrifice had to be shed. And saints, on the account of the shed blood of Jesus Christ, We have forgiveness of our sins and reconciliation to God. Our sins have been forgiven past, present, and future on the account of the precious blood of Jesus Christ. When we drink of the cup, we are being reminded of the blood that that took away our sins. The blood that we, all of us, are washed in. Paul says in in Ephesians 1, 7, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. It's Christ's blood that removes our punishment, saints. It's the blood of Christ that removes us from under the curse of the law in order that we may obey the law freely. It's Christ's blood that removes the barrier between sinful man and holy God. And saints, every Lord's day, as we participate in the Lord's Supper, we are connecting ourselves to the time when Christ redeemed our sins. The bread and the cup quickly remind us 
of the passion of Christ and the sufferings he endured towards the end of his life. We are reminded at the table of that one perfect life that was lived on our behalf and that one perfect life or that one perfect sacrifice that was offered up on our behalf. And saints, being reminded each and every Lord's Day of the shed blood and of the death of Christ should do only one thing, but strengthen our faith. It's a good thing that we are to be reminded of the, of the broken body and shed blood of the Lord. That is why we should partake of it every time we meet together. But why should this strengthen our faith? Why should the looking upon the, 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 the shed blood and the broken body and being reminded of what, of what Christ has done for us, why should that strengthen our faith? Number one, because it's an historical fact. It's an historical fact that the eternal son of God did become incarnate. He really lived on this earth and he really died in our place. The death of Jesus Christ is not a fairy tale or an urban myth, or simply a story that was passed on from generation to generation. But the death of Jesus Christ was an historical event by an historical person that took place at an historical time. It's an actual fact that was decreed in eternity past. It was prophesied and promised in the days of old and was was fulfilled over 2,000 years ago. In addition to that, saints, being reminded of the death of Christ should strengthen our faith because I don't know about you, but at times I have weak faith. We all have weak and infant faith. In light of how much scripture we read and how, in light of how many church services we go to and, and how many times we fellowship with each other, we are plagued with weak faith. Because of our sin at times, we can feel like we are not of the faith. At times we can feel like we aren't in Christ, but still in Adam because of the things that we do, the things that we think. Saints, that's all of us. And when I feel like that at times, and that's often, I'm reminded of what Pastor Antonio once said, that there is more grace in Christ than there is sin in you. The Puritan Thomas Watson said something similar. Our sins should humble us. But they, shouldn't, but they must not discourage us from coming to Christ. We need that reassurance that on the account of the death of Jesus Christ, our sins have been dealt with and have been forgiven. That is why the Lord's Supper strengthens our faith. We need reassurance that we have been reconciled to God and we now have peace with God. We need that insurance. And the elements of the Lord's Supper visibly remind us That such a great redemption has taken place. It has taken place. And by faith in Christ alone and in Christ alone, we can rest assured that we are safe from the wrath of God. So each Lord's Day, saints, examine yourselves. Yes. Repent of your sins. Yes. But come to the Lord's table. Fellowship with Christ. And as you are reminded of the great redemption that has taken place on your, on your behalf, eat of the bread with confidence. Drink of the cup with confidence that your sins have been forgiven, that your sins have been dealt with. And you are no longer a sinner 
in the eyes of God, but you are his child. Let's now consider the second point. Present tense. Present tense. The Lord's Supper is not merely a memorial, though it is that. The Lord's Supper is not merely a proclamation of Christ's death, though it is that. But it is set apart as a means of grace, whereby Christ himself, through the Spirit, seals, confirms, and guarantees the benefits of his death. If you want to guarantee that you, or I should say that what Christ has done on your behalf is and has been given to you, he's given us, his, he has instituted the Lord's Supper to remind us that all the things that he has won on our behalf is ours, is ours. So the Lord's Supper, so in the Lord's Supper, we look back at redemption accomplished. And in the present, Christ, by the ordinary means of the bread and wine or cup, applies that redemption to our lives. The Lord's Supper is a means of grace for the people of God. Now, what is a means of grace? And you've heard this said before, but let me just refresh your memory. A means of grace, we first have to do, first define what are means. Uh, and what means are, are ways of getting something to someone. Means are ways of getting something to someone. So, for instance, cell phones are means for us to talk to each other. When a soldier goes out to the battlefield, they might say, do whatever means necessary to conquer the enemy. So in many ways, means are a go-between, between two parties. It helps one party get something to the other party. Okay? So now let's define, okay, well, we know what means are. What are the means of grace? What are the means of grace? The means of grace are the activities commanded by Christ through which the Spirit of Christ blesses the people of Christ. Their activities commanded by Christ through which the Spirit of Christ blesses the people of Christ. Richard Barcelos defines the means of grace as the delivery systems God has instituted to bring grace. That is spiritual change, spiritual power, spiritual help, spiritual fortitude, and spiritual blessings to the needy souls on the earth. Grace comes from the Father, through the Son, by the Spirit, and gives blessings and grace to his people through the ordained means. And what blessings do we receive from these means? What do we receive from the throne of grace? Well, the answer is this, saints. Through the means of grace, all of the benefits that Christ won on our behalf, all the benefits of Christ's redemption are communicated to his people. They are communicated to his people. In other words, Jesus takes what he won on our behalf and he applies and distributes those benefits to our lives. Now, this doesn't mean that we are earning more justification. It doesn't mean that we take what Christ has won and we are earning more justification. Nor does it mean that these means of grace are converting sacraments or converting ordinances. The means of grace don't save them in and of themselves. 
But what they do is they confirm our salvation. They confirm that we are in Christ. So when we say means of grace, when we say that Jesus applies and distributes the benefits he won for us, don't think justification, but rather think sanctification. The means of grace are used to sanctify us, to help mature us, to nurture us, to change us and conform us more to the image of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, through the means of grace, is sanctifying us. The means of grace are the ordinary things in which God uses to work on us spiritually. Through the means of grace, we receive all the benefits of Christ's redemption to help us become more like our risen Lord. And one of the means of grace that God has given to us to sanctify us, to help us in our walk is the Lord's Supper. That's why we say the Lord's Supper is a means of grace. Our confession in chapter 30 says the Lord's Supper is our spiritual nourishment. It helps us spiritually. When we partake of the Lord's Supper, grace is conveyed through the gospel message presented by and with the elements when received by faith. That's why we say the Lord's Supper is a visible gospel presentation to us. The Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians ten sixteen, the couple blessing that we bless, is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? The bread that we break, is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? Richard Barcelo says, the point being made from this text is that the bread and the wine are signs which signify present participation, present communion, and the present benefits procured or won by Jesus Christ's body and blood. Here and now, you receive all of the blessings of Jesus Christ. And when you partake of the Lord's Supper, you can rest assured that everything that Christ won over 2,000 years ago is yours. Is yours. That's why we say the Lord's Supper strengthens our faith. It reminds us and reassures us that everything that we have in Christ is most surely ours. When we partake of the Lord's Supper, Jesus Christ, through the Holy Spirit, brings down from heaven all of the benefits of his life, death, and resurrection. Meaning when we participate in the Lord's Supper, we are actually fellowshipping with Jesus Christ. Think of that. We are actually fellowshipping with our Lord spiritually, spiritually feasting on his body and blood. Again, our confession says in chapter 30, paragraph 7, worthy receivers, outwardly, outwardly partaking of the visible elements in this ordinance, do then also inwardly by faith, really and indeed, yet not cardinally, no corporally, yet spiritually receive and feed upon Christ crucified and all of the benefits of his death. The body and the blood of Christ being then not corporally or cardinally, but spiritually present to the faith of believers in that ordinance as the elements themselves are to their outward senses. At the Lord's Supper, saints, Christ is present with us in a real yet spiritual way. Every Sabbath day when we participate in the Lord's Supper, it is as if heaven is being brought down to our souls by the Holy Spirit. And through the Lord's Supper, we are brought in union and communion with the risen or with our risen and ascended Lord. 
Saints, I don't know about you, but knowing this heightens my view of the Lord's Supper. Knowing that every time I partake of the Lord's Supper, I am fellowshipping with the one who saved me over 2,000 years ago excites me. It makes me want to take the Lord's Supper. It makes me want to ask for forgiveness. It makes me want to examine myself so I can participate in or with uh, my Lord. The Lord's Supper is not just an empty shell, saints. It's not just some religious activity that we do. It's not just some tradition that we do. But Christ is present with his people. And the benefits that Christ won on our behalf is distributed and applied to his people. From God's throne of grace, God showers his people with spiritual blessings. That's what we all need in this Christian life. We need spiritual nourishment. We need spiritual food. And get this, we get fed food from the word of God. And on top of that, we get fed more in the Lord's Supper. We should leave here spiritually full. And then we come back and we do it again. Can you now see, saints, the high significance of the Lord's Supper? Can we see these blessings, uh, can we see these blessings materially? No. Is Christ present with us physically? No. But saints, just because we can't see, touch, and feel these blessings materially doesn't mean that these blessings aren't alive, active, and present. So come, saints, every Lord's Day Sabbath and receive a blessing. That's actually not a bad thing to say. You come and receive a blessing. Blessings from the heavenlies that come down from heaven through the supernatural agency of the Holy Spirit to you. Just because Christ uh, isn't present with us in a physical way doesn't mean that he's not present with us at all. Through the supernatural agency of the Holy Spirit, Christ from heaven brings spiritual nourishment and refreshments to our souls. And saints, we work six days a week, some of us, in a land that's uh, a desert to us. We are sojourners and wanderers in this world. We need refreshments. We need spiritual food to rejuvenate us in order for us to go back into that wilderness wandering so we can come back again to the oasis that God has given to us. So, saints, I hope you've seen from the first two points that the Lord's Supper is more than what we do on the behalf of what God has done. But the Lord's Supper is about what God does to us. The Lord's Supper is more about what God does for us in redemption and what God does to us in the present. And all we do is simply receive. Similar to the covenant of grace. God says, I will do this. And all you have to do is receive. Again, as Bobbing said, he gives himself for us. And in the Lord's Supper, Christ gives himself to us. The Lord's Supper is a message and assurance to us of divine grace. And eating of the bread and drinking of the cup symbolizes the application of God's redemption. So saints, as a word of encouragement, never not come to the Lord's table. Sorry for the double negative, but never not come to the Lord's table. Never have an attitude of boring repetition as if, "Ah, 
okay, let's get this over with. This is the part of the sermon when, or the part of the Lord's uh, worship time when we're about to leave. Let's just get this over with. We should never think that. We should never think that this is just simply a religious duty and some ordinary thing that we do as a church that's been passed down from generation to generation. But the Lord's Supper is a special time when Christ really and spiritually, by the Spirit, fellowships with his people. If you're not a member of a local congregation, we advise you to become one. Saints and those who are parents, if you want, to, if you want something to teach your children, teach them about the Lord's Supper. Ingrain in their head the high priority and significance of the Lord's Supper and what it all details so that they will come to faith, become a member, and fellowship with their king. Uh, now let's consider the final point, that is future tense. Future tense. So there's a, there's a, there's a past aspect, there's a present aspect, and then there is a future aspect. Um, and I know you might say, well, there's a lot going on in the Lord's Supper, uh, but that's why we say the Lord's Supper is not just an empty shell. And that's why we say the things that we do are not out of um, tradition. And, and, not things, and these things that we do are, are not things that we do um, to just pass by time. But, but everything that we do has a significance to it. In Mark 14, 25, Jesus said of the cup, Truly I say to you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until that day. Highlight that day. That day when I drink it anew, and highlight this, in the kingdom of God. Christ says he's not going to drink of this cup again until that day, until the kingdom of God, the new kingdom of God. Paul stated in 1 Corinthians eleven twenty six. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Until he comes. There's something going on here. That from the words of Christ and from the Apostle Paul, it's clear that the Lord's Supper is a meal that prepares us for an event. The Lord's Supper is a meal that prepares us for an event in the future. What's that event? What are, being, what are we being prepared for, you might ask? Well, that event is pictured for us by John in Revelation 19, 6 through 9. Listen to the words of Revelation chapter 19, 6 through 9. Then I heard what seemed to be a voice of a great multitude, like a roar of many waters and like a sound of mighty pedals of thunder, pills of thunder, and crying out, Hallelujah! For the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and give him the glory for the marriage of the lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. It was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure for the for the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. And the angel said to me, write this, blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the lamb. And he said to me, these are the true words of God. This is a glorious text. This is a text that we all, that all, that we all should highlight, uh, that we should think about and memorize. Because saints, this is our future. This is what will take place in the new heavens and a new earth. In this text, the Lord's Supper is envisioned, and hear this, as a rehearsal dinner 
for a wedding. The Lord's Supper is a rehearsal dinner for a wedding in the future. It is a day in the future when Jesus, the groom, will be wed to the bride, the church. When we partake of the Lord's Supper, we are to look with great anticipation to a new day. A day when God's kingdom will be fully realized and present on this earth. A day when the groom, Christ, will gather his people or gather his bride, the church. And they, as one, will celebrate their perfect marriage together over a glorious meal. I don't know about you, but that excites me about the future. What this means, saints, is the Lord's Supper shows us that history is moving somewhere. That history is moving somewhere. That history has an escalating climactic point. And that climactic point is when the kingdom of God will be fully realized and the people of God will be with their king. The Lord's Supper also preaches to us that Christ will have victory in the end. Again, John says in Revelation, the multitudes of people say, Hallelujah! For the Lord our God, the Almighty, reigns. The Lord's Supper preaches to us that although we have trouble in this world, take heed, for Christ has overcome the world. Christ will have victory in the end. The king's enemies will become the king's footstool. And at the consummation of all things, saints, what will the king do with his kingdom people? What will the king do with his kingdom people? They will both will partake in a kingdom meal in the kingdom of God. The Lord's Supper prepares us for that event in the future. At the Lord's Supper, we have a foretaste of the great banquet in God's kingdom that is to come. Just as every Sabbath day, we have a foretaste of what heaven will be like. Well, in the Lord's Supper, we also have a foretaste of what our heavenly meal will be like. The bread and the wine are miniature rehearsals of what will be the greatest celebration in all of history. The celebration of the marriage supper of the Lamb. And the Lord's Supper prepares us for that celebration. The Lord's Supper, in many ways, is our engagement ring from Christ. It's a promise from Christ. The bread and the cup is Christ's pledge to us of his great love and faithfulness to us. This is my body given for you. This is my blood poured out for you. What great love is that? And the Lord's Supper pledges to us that every time we partake of the Lord's Supper, we are believing that our husband will come for us one day. That our husband will come for us one day. And our marriage will be complete. Saints, this is why we should be excited to partake of the Lord's Supper. We should be eager to partake of the Lord's Supper because it shows how close we are to our wedding banquet. But also, saints, we should pray that every time we partake of the Lord's Supper, that that is the last time we will ever partake of the Lord's Supper. Treat the Lord's Supper as if that is the last and final time you will ever partake of this positive ordinance given by Christ. We don't want to take this forever. We don't want to drink of the bread 
and eat of the cup forever, or drink of, drink of the wine and, and eat of the bread forever. We want the real thing. We want the substance. We want Christ. We want our groom to come for us. So saints, the third aspect of the Lord's Supper is something that we always must have in our mind. And this is what gives us hope, saints. This is what gives us hope. This is what gives us hope that the future will not be like yesterday or today. But history is moving somewhere that Christ will come. And he's given us a promise of that coming at the Lord's Supper. Saints, I close with the words of Thomas Watson. At Christ's beauty, so his bounty should make him loved by us. He has given us his blood as the price and his spirit as the witness of our pardon. In the Lord's Supper, Christ bestows all good things. He both imputes his righteousness and imparts his loving kindness. He gives a foretaste of that supper which shall be celebrated in the paradise of God. To sum it all up, in the blessed supper, Christ gives himself to believers. And what more could he give? Let's pray.